You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church. We're located in the Ballston neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us on the web at cumcballston dot o-r-g. There you can learn more about our congregation, where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Good morning. This morning's scripture is found on pages 1785 and 1786 in your pew Bibles. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 27. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is, made, is not made up of one but many parts. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there would be no division in the body, but, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Randy, for reading this morning. Throughout this worship series, celebrating the odd and wondrous calling from God to ministry, so far we've looked at the two orders of ordained clergy, deacons and elders. But clergy are not the only people called to ministry. All baptized Christians are called to ministry. In the scripture reading that Randy just read for us, in 1 Corinthians 12, in the 13th verse, the Apostle Paul makes a connection between the Holy Spirit and baptism and our incorporation into the body of Christ. Quote, For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. End quote. So as a clergy person, it felt a little weird to be the only voice that you would hear today about the call to lay ministry. So this morning, you're going to hear from three different voices sharing about their own call to ministry as a lay person. First, Derek Scott. He's the executive director of Campus to City Wesley Foundation in Jacksonville, Florida. I didn't know what it meant to be a lay person. It just seemed like people were lay by default. That if they really wanted to do ministry, they would go down the road of ordination, and if they just wanted to exist, they would be a lay person. That's, that was my experience. That's all that I had been told. And so I just, in the group, I just raised my hand. I was like, so what does it mean to be a lay person? And Pastor Melissa, who is my mentor, um, she was really good. She answered some questions. Um, but the conversation quickly went back to elder, deacon, local pastor. And it was fun because that's why we were there, right? We were people who wanted to be in ministry. And so that's what it meant to be in ministry in the UMC. And then I heard it. I heard my call. It was that moment. It's like thunder in your brain. It's clarity, but it's confusing. It's peace and it's wrestling all at the same time. And I heard it and I knew I heard it. I couldn't have said it any other day before, but in that moment, week five of Candidacy Group, I knew what I was called to do. And I was shocked to hear lay ministry. I was shocked and I zoned out. I zoned out from the conversation at that point because I began to think about the ramifications of what it meant to be called to lay ministry. I mean, it, it, it meant I didn't have to go to seminary. I had mixed feelings about that, honestly. It meant that I didn't have any more paperwork that I had to turn in. All good. All good. It meant that I didn't have to fear the board of ordained ministry. All in on that. That's cool. That's cool. And I it meant that I didn't have to worry about one day being appointed to middle of nowhere UMC. <laughs> but it also meant that from my experience, limited opportunities to be involved in the mission of the church. And it meant that there weren't going to be any rites of passage and celebration as I grew in my faith and in my gifts and my graces. It, I hadn't heard of the last scholarship that a layperson could honestly apply for. 
There, there are people who have given me so much attention and so much mentoring and encouragement and resources and opportunities, and they loved me, they cared about me, they supported me, but, but part of the reason they were giving me all that attention was because they hoped that one day REV would be at the front of my name, right? And I knew my call. I couldn't act like I didn't hear that voice. I knew my call, but I wasn't sure if it would be celebrated. Took the next few months to really think about what it meant to be called to lay ministry. Um, I told my mentors, and uh, they were kind of silent. No one really knew what to do with that. I was a full-time campus minister, still am, and no one really knew what to do with a full-time campus minister who actually heard their call to be a lay person. But I began to think about it for a few months and really pray about it, and I began to explore the scriptures, and I began to realize that some of the biblical heroes that I had heard all my life were actually and could be classified as lay people. Joseph and Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah, lay people. They're not ordained. We could have a conversation, but I would argue that the disciples, the 12 disciples, lay people. In fact, the New Testament men and women who who came around the idea of Jesus being God and who were actually the people who maintained the New Testament church, lay people. When you think about your heroes from Scripture, do you think about the priests in the temple? There might be a few. You might think about some of the prophets. But I think most of the people we would turn to as our heroes in faith would be lay people. Now, as the United Methodist Church, we do value the ministry of the laity. In our book of discipline, which isn't often a place I turn to prepare to preach, but today I wanted to read to you a small section that states how we value the ministry of the laity. Quote, the witness of the laity, their Christ-like examples of everyday living, as well as the sharing of their own faith experiences of the gospel, is the primary evangelistic ministry through which all people will come to know Christ and the United Methodist Church will fulfill its mission. In that way, I believe that all lay people are called to a ministry of the word. That might not mean that they're all called to preach, but all of you have the opportunity to share your faith experience of the gospel might be with friends or family one-on-one. -on -one. It might be giving a testimony in church. It might be offering a sermon like that layperson was. God's greatest need is not for more pastors. God's greatest need is for more committed laypeople who will witness for Christ in their everyday lives. So clergy and laity partner together for ministry. The slide that's on the screen now shows all of the different functions that we have in our church. While we might have a hierarchy for governance, it is one based on function and responsibility, not based on value. So this is all of the different types of ministries. You have the grouping for lay people only, the grouping for ordained and licensed clergy, and then the area that both lay and clergy can serve might be a little easier, still a little hard to read, I'm sure, but you can see for ordained clergy, we have deacon and elder. We also have another category of licensed local pastors. 
If you're a layperson, you can be certified in a specialized ministry like Christian education, children's ministry, and ministry with people with disabilities. And then this slide shows the four categories of ministry that actually do mark the opportunity for people who are lay people and they feel a call to service. It can be a way that we celebrate people who are growing in their faith. So you can see some categories that I'm gonna get into detail in a minute. Lay servant, deaconess and home missioner, and certified lay minister. Those are ways that we can mark and celebrate the growth of faith and the fruit of ministry of lay people. But we also have all church members. There is no certification required to serve and to share your experience of Christ's love in your life. That comes from your baptism. All baptized Christians are equipped to share their experience of God at work in their lives. They are all called to a ministry of word and service. So you can see that some of these ways we express them are prayer and worship, visiting the hospitalized or the homebound, committee participation, leading small groups, and teaching Sunday school. We ask people to serve based on their gifts. Over the last year, Pastor John has offered a class about spiritual gifts to help people discover their gifts and help us in the church leadership learn more about the gifts people have. Because like I was talking with the kids earlier, it's not fair if you have a scratch and sniff sticker to ask your ear to smell the, snicker, the sticker. In the same way, it's not fair to ask someone who does not have a gift for teaching to serve in the children's ministry and teach Sunday school. So our goal is to offer enough opportunities for people to take this class that you all learn about your own gifts and that you share that knowledge with us as the leadership so that we can work together to help people discover their gifts and employ those gifts for the body of Christ. So these are three ways for people who want more training, who want to have an opportunity to feel more equipped. We actually do have three categories of certified lay people who are trained and equipped in certain areas. If you look in your announcement sheet, there's some detailed information about that on the second page. But I just want to share with you a little bit about lay servant ministry. Very back at the beginning of Methodism, this was originally called exhorter. Reverend Alex Joyner wrote this about exhorters. Quote, early Methodism was on the move. Its circuit-riding preachers traveled large circuits, and they were frequently reassigned to new circuits on an annual basis. They were not meant to become enmeshed in a particular church or community. They had nothing to do but save souls, as John Wesley put it, and to organize small groups to continue the work of growing in holiness. They couldn't help but be considered outsiders, or in the lingo of the Eastern Shore where I live, come here's. The exhorters were the insiders, the lay leaders who kept the Methodist societies going when the preachers weren't around. They were the ones who could encourage and inspire. To use a modern word, they were the ones who could contextualize the message that the preachers proclaimed. It was a role that men and women fulfilled. 
Wesley allowed women to be exhorters at a time when it was unthinkable that a woman would be ordained as clergy. So many lay women answered a call to ministry as an exhorter. They preached and they organized prayer meetings. The office of exhorter eventually became known as lay speaker, and in 2012, lay speaking became lay servant ministry. It expanded beyond just preaching. It reclaimed some of the heritage of that expanded ministry an exhorter would do. Lay servants are trained and equipped in three areas of focus, leading, caring, and communicating. After finishing the training to be a certified lay servant, for those who feel a call to, to preach, they can go on and get additional training and become a lay speaker. So that's a lay servant with a specialization in preaching. And then there are some who want to continue on and become a certified lay minister. They serve as a class leader did in early Methodism. They would preach, provide pastoral care, and lead small groups. If you think you might be interested in becoming a lay servant, there's a training opportunity coming up next month. The by district training is on May, I'm sorry, March 20th and 21st at Wesley UMC in Alexandria. And let me just be clear, you're not required to be trained as a lay servant to serve. Again, it is your baptism that qualifies you. But some of you want to be more equipped in your ministry. So I encourage you to look at this training opportunity or one of the future ones. This particular one is offered twice a year. Now for some of you who are between the ages of 20 and 30, there are two unique opportunities to serve, a US2 and a Global Mission Fellow. This is a two-year leadership and mission service program. Young adults serve in the US when they're a US2, and they serve internationally as a Global Mission Fellow. This is an incredible program for young people to discover their call in this life. And finally, for laity, for the ones who feel a call by God to a lifetime commitment for full-time vocation in ministries of love, justice, and service, there is an opportunity to become part of a covenant community, the Deaconess and Home Missioner. Deaconess and Home Missioner is both an office and an order. The word office indicates that deaconess and home missioners have been authorized to do work on behalf of the church. The word order indicates that these people have entered into a covenant community with one another so that they may support one another and hold each other accountable in their authorized work. Folks who become deaconesses or home missioners make covenant vows, and they are to love, justice, and service. In 1908, Jane Bancroft Robinson wrote, quote, hospitals, old people's homes, orphanages, homes for incorrigible children, such are the institutions that we need to found and maintain. But the deaconess is the best agent that the church has yet found to care for such helpful remedial agencies. Then again, all deaconess work is in essence missionary work. A deaconess may be said to be a specialized ministry with ecclesiastical recognition, privileges, and limitations. 
This order for lay ministry for love, justice, and service has existed for about 132 years. All the way back in 1888, the General Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church created the office of deaconess and a deaconess board to oversee the work. For the next 20 years, the office of deaconess was created in a couple of other denominations. All of these denominations, these five, ended up becoming the United Methodist Church in 1968. But you can see it was over 20 years that each of them created the office of deaconess. We had a couple of mergers in 39, 46, and finally 1968, when all five of those separate denominations eventually created the United Methodist Church. And at that time, all of the deaconesses were united together under the supervision of the United Methodist Women. In 2016, General Conference recognized deaconesses and home missioners as an order. So people who join the deaconess and home missioner, they become consecrated. They're not ordained, but they are consecrated. And in 2018, there were 160 active deaconesses and home missioners in the United States and about 400 in the Philippines. When a missionary is commissioned for service, an anchor cross is placed around their neck. It is a symbol of their call to mission service, and it identifies them as part of this covenant community. The anchor cross is a reminder for them that they are part of a community, even when they are out working in their mission field alone. This anchor cross may be worn by any United Methodist missionary, a US2 Global Mission Fellow, Deaconess, or Home Missioner. Now in the United States, Deaconesses originally lived in community, and they pledged not to marry. That changed in the 1950s. So modern-day deaconesses and home missioners serve many roles, from chaplains to environmental engineers. They don't live in community anymore in the US or the Philippines, but they still do in Germany. This photo of a missionary in Berlin, right there, the gentleman wearing the anchor cross, he's seated across the table from two deaconesses. You can see here these two German deaconesses. They talked about their experiences in Germany. A hundred years ago, there were a thousand deaconesses. Today in Germany, there's only 110. Amid the rubble of World War II, some Methodist women found calling and purpose in a life of service as a deaconess. They ran hospitals, taught and worked in local churches, and cared for the sick and aging in their homes. At that time, saying yes to God and becoming a deaconess meant foregoing marriage and family and living in a community of women who took vows of service. The deaconesses in Germany today still wear habits of simple blue dresses and white caps. These deaconesses wear a pin that represents faith, hope, and love. The cross is faith, the heart shape is love, and the anchor is hope. Sister Anita Hubner was 19 when she became a deaconess. She loved the work, especially nursing. The German deaconesses are unique in their call to live in community with one another and to remain unmarried. Here in the US and also in the Philippines, a deaconess and home missioner may get married and live with their own family. 
So now I want you to hear from two different deaconesses in the United States who have answered this call to a lifetime of service. I'm Cameron Kempson. I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm a deaconess that works at Simply Home. Um, we create assistive technology to support people who are aging or have disabilities so they can live independently. In one week's time, I had three people who didn't know each other come up to me and say, I really think you should consider becoming a deaconess. My family did not understand it at first. They thought I was going to either become a nun or that it was going to be a paid position with the church. They couldn't understand why I felt this strong desire to be in relationship with the church as opposed to being hired by the church or going to seminary. My passions and my gifts were in this spirit of social justice, which to me is, is what we deaconesses are really about. My daughter is getting to see how faith is really making me the strong woman that I am. I think being a deaconess or a home missioner, we probably have more freedom or more capacity to really take on some challenging issues than with our grounding spirit, address those in ways that maybe ministers can't or don't have the authority to do. I started engaging in nature outside my front door and spent a lot of times with my hand in that dirt and uh, lifting up prayers through the rustling trees and I started a blog that now reaches people all over the world. It's been a life-changing experience for me to do that and, and honestly impacts the bigger ministry that I am appointed to. I never knew what to call myself until I found the Office of Deaconess Home Missioner. Just complete commitment to social justice and um, mercy and kindness for people but in a way that compelled me to do more than just volunteer, that made me feel like I was committed to doing this as, as my life. My name is Selena Ruth Smith, and I've been a deaconess for a year and a half, and I serve at the Sumter Fire Department in Sumter, South Carolina. The firefighting path came first, and in that it's a ministry, and then the deaconess came a little bit after. 111 Public service, firefighting, it, it's a ministry. You don't know the age or the race or the gender or the economic status. So you serve anybody. I found it to be a ministry because you're helping people. Being a deaconess puts me in the middle of the action because I'm a doer. So deaconess to me equals action. So the empowerment is very, very great. And we are empowered by our predecessors. They had less and we have more. So. If you have more, as God said, more is required of you. But you have to have the courage and the determination and the strength that when I see that fire or when I see a fire storm starting to brew, um, I have the courage and I know that I can go in there and I can put it out. Courage is all about self-motivating. You know you can do it. You're gonna have the community that stands behind you. So I love deaconess. They listen to what you have to say, and it's on their heart, and I think that's the sole purpose of my love for the deaconess and home missioner. Now, not all of us are called to be firefighters or even a nonprofit executive, 
But every one of us, by virtue of our baptism, is called to ministry, to use the unique gifts that God has given to you so that you can function as a healthy part of the body of Christ. If you haven't yet taken our spiritual gift class, the next one that Pastor John is teaching is May 2nd, from 10 to 1. If you have, or if you just simply know already about your spiritual gifts, maybe you have a gift for hospitality. You could host one of our Lenten meals. Or maybe you have a gift that hasn't been explored and named in this church yet, but is a need that we have. However you are called, God is calling you. Now this Wednesday begins Lent. It begins with Ash Wednesday, a season of 40 days of preparation for Easter. This might be just the opportunity that you need to commit or recommit to listening to the call that God is extending to you today. Do you hear a call to deeper discipleship in some way? To immerse yourself in the word, to read scripture in a disciplined way? To cultivate a new or different daily prayer practice? To serve others? To connect with someone else as an accountability partner? To join one of our Wednesday or Sunday Bible studies? How is God calling you now? to take the next step on your spiritual journey and answer your call to ministry. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you have invited us to join together as your body in this world. It is a privilege to find our place, to know that you have made us just as we are and that is how you want us to serve. Lord, I pray that in this season of Lent, that we each listen closely to how you are calling us so that we might all take the next step on our discipleship journey in partnering with you as the body of Christ. In your holy name I pray, amen.